0: Here's a Japanese with an Hello and welcome to another special interview episode of the Good Friends of Jackson Elias. Now, regular listeners may remember way back in episode 127, we had a little discussion about the relationship between comedy and horror and how the two are perhaps sort of sides of the same coin. And it's something that's come up again in a number of discussions we've had. And I thought it would be really interesting to talk to someone who has really explored that side of things in his own work. So it is my great pleasure to introduce Matthew McLean, who is the producer and writer and star of a Scottish podcast. So, thank you very much for joining us, Matthew.
1: Thank you, Scott. It's, uh, I appreciate being invited on and I'm looking forward to, to having a wee chat about things. Well, let's
0: start off then. For our listeners who might not know what a Scottish podcast is or haven't encountered it yet, how would you actually pitch it?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's something I, I've been asked before, so it's a, it's a bit out of left field, so it's kind of quite a meta audio drama so it's a fiction podcast mm. and it's a story about somebody like a fictional character in there creates their own podcast so he's his name's Lee he's a former radio DJ you know he's a bit of a he's a bit of a yesterday's man and um, he's decided to kind of try and kickstart his career by launching a paranormal investigation podcast uh, so the, the show kind of follows his adventures or misadventures as it may be as he um, initially attempts to to just make some sort of stuff up and stumbles across some genuinely potentially supernatural events you know there's a a lovecraftian undertone in there and like you say, yeah it's a it's a show that doesn't take itself too seriously so i'm told it's quite funny by people you know that might be a, that's obviously a matter of opinion but um <laughs> yeah it, it, it certainly you know errs on the side of um humor i would reckon
0: yeah, I mean, it certainly makes me laugh. I I, I find it very, very funny. I, I, at the same time, I, there is some of the um, investigative supernatural stuff that you put in there well I say supernatural I mean you you've tread very fine line it's always pretty ambiguous in there but at the same time it's got sort of all those beats of horror and yeah there's a lot of it that gets really quite creepy like all the stuff that goes on in the undercity in Edinburgh
1: yeah that's right we've done a few different story angles now a few different investigations so there's there's been a couple of different things that they've been looking into you know they can can't just sit in the pub and, and talk rubbish all day so uh, unfortunately as a writer you do need to come up with some sort of plot even if it's um, just been thrown together to, to kind of keep um, keep things moving along but it, it gives a good backdrop you know you, you need to mix up the environments you need to uh, have them doing something have them working towards something and I think that then brings in the scope for the characters to kick back and just have the conversations that I think are, are quite popular with the listeners by all accounts
0: like you say i mean you do err on the side of comedy and it strikes me as being a very well as the name implies a very scottish form of comedy Uh, do you find that translates well to an international audience
1: funnily enough yeah there seems to be a decent sized following in america um, and huh? we've had a lot of feedback too. I say a lot, I mean a lot, you know, five or six people over the, the last four years or however long it's been running. You know, <laughs> I've had um, listeners in like Colombia, um, a lot of Spanish speaking countries and stuff like that, because they've specifically for some reason or another, they've wanted to learn English, but they've wanted to learn a- another dialect. You know, that a lot of people in, in uh, different language countries, th- they hear the American accent a lot. Um, and some folks, I guess, just want to learn English with a different accent. So, you know, I've had feedback from people <laughs> around the world just saying I'm using this to, to kind of pick up. I, I hope they're not um doing anything with that. You know, I hope they're not uh, going on TV <laughs> or radio or the words that they're maybe learning from us. But, yeah, a big, big following in the US proportionate to, to our downloads, which does surprise me, I guess. It does surprise me because you know it must it must be difficult to understand a lot of this stuff we use a lot of like local words and stuff like that so it can't be easy um for them following along but people seem to do it so
0: <laughs> i, I... I remember, I mean, I used to work with an awful lot of people from right around the world, and there were a lot of people who spoke English as a second language, very fluently, I mean, absolutely perfect, technically perfect English, and it always seemed like as soon as they came across a Scots accent, it was like a brick wall to them. It was bizarre that yeah you know, they they could they could cope with you know the most intricate complexities of of uh, the English language, but you know the slightest hint of a Scots accent and suddenly everything became incomprehensible
1: yeah I, d- I don't know if it's just that like we were a small country, I suppose, but then you look at it, you know there's been a lot of famous people in the modern era, you know you even go back to somebody like Sean Connery, but yeah, how, how I guess they have to moderate their accent for the, the big screen in the international audience is very transatlantic, isn't it? You know, you might not mm. see necessarily, unless you look at a film like, you know, Train Spotting or something like that, where it's, it's not attempted to be dumbed down and I guess the producers there maybe... I don't know if they didn't care if it didn't do well in America, but they, they weren't trying to um, appeal to that audience necessarily first and foremost. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think, um, I think there was no point in us trying to tone it down in the hope that that might get us a few more listeners because it's not like... I'm not trying to do anything with the show. I'm not trying to make money from it i'm not trying to make it something really big it's, it's it's purely a creative outlet so i don't really i don't really care you know if I had five listeners that'd <laughs> be fine you know i'd still do it so
0: <laughs> well let's get into the the show itself a bit more then like you touched upon there you do uh, draw upon lovecraft and lovecraftian horror I, I guess I'd, I'd sort of picked up on the bits that you'd thrown in, particularly in the first season, and yeah, uh, you know, then you know you start making mentions of the Miskatonic University and stuff like that. But I, I guess it sort of really clicked how much of a Lovecraft fan you must be when there was that special episode that you did with uh, all the Lovecraft poems in it. I and that's that's a yeah you know, pretty deep cut in in terms of Lovecraft. What is it that sort of inspired you to bring all this Lovecraft stuff into a comedy podcast?
1: Yeah, it's a funny one because I'm quite late to the party with Lovecraft. Like, I I think I've only... I've only been really into his stuff for the past maybe 10 years. Um, So it was a name that I'd heard a lot before then, especially when I got into listening to audio drama and stuff like that. Um, But you're only going back 10 years till I I properly started reading all his stuff. Like, I... I reckon I've probably read every... I don't know if that's an audacious claim. I possibly haven't. But, you know, <laughs> I've, I've went through all these collected works and the um, novelettes and stuff like that that he did. So um, I guess it couldn't couldn't fail to... You know, when you're binging that much of the content, it couldn't fail to have an impact. But when I look back as well, growing up, I did read a lot of horror books. And either... You know, one that stands out for some weird reason is, like uh, you know, Edith Nesbitt, who predates Lovecraft I had a lot of her short stories which I really liked but if I think about you you know and I I read a bit of Poe as well very culture child it's quite cliched to say I suppose you know (laughs) but um, all the all the horror that I read that was you know maybe written in the 80s 90s of course there probably is Lovecraftian influences in there because he Mm -hmm. was such a big influence and then one of the sort of out of left field influences as well that ties into Lovecraft is like as a kid I did a lot of, like, tabletop wargaming, so, like, Games Workshop stuff, and looking back on that as an adult, a whole, like, section of their lore is very, very Lovecraftian when you look at, like, the, the realm of chaos and the chaos gods and that. That's oh, yeah. all Lovecraft stuff, you know? I didn't realise it at the time. So I suppose when I kept hearing his name coming up again and again and eventually thought, I'm going to dig into some of this stuff, and... um yeah, then it all ties in and you're, you're like, well, actually, that's where that came from. That's where this came from. So, yeah, influence is all over, but pretty late to the party getting to, to Lovecraft So, Sorry, I'm not sure if that even answered your question or not. But
0: <laughs> No, I th- I think, well, I mean, let's, let's kind of come at this from a slightly different angle then. I mean, obviously, you've then worked a lot of very explicitly Lovecraftian influences into the podcast and into the storyline there. Is there something particularly about those elements, or about Lovecraft's work in particular, that you know really sort of clicked with you when you were putting all this together?
1: Yes, well, Lovecraft. I think it's it's a couple of things. It's that unseen, it's that unseen horror that I like. You know, never been one for like in your face describe the monster. You know, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, B movies where you see like. You see the the monster, and it's it's just rubbish. Um, I like that kind of like it's always just on the fringe, and it's what you not what you don't see, and then that other aspect mm. of like you know just th- this planet being this like tiny hopeless little thing floating about in this like giant horror that we could never comprehend and you know it's yeah. it's just out of sight but somebody might peer into that and it might drive them into madness so I, something about that just clicks with me i think and i think it provides you know if if somebody tries to just focus on that alone i don't think it's enough because it's been done so many times but i think if you come at that and you use that as your as your as your um, stage maybe but you need to bring your own story to it and then you can use it you know you can dip in and out of it as and when as and when is necessary
0: and you talked about having read a lot of other horror stuff from the 80s and 90s and so on was there anything else particularly that you uh, sort of inspired you or you drew upon or was it primarily Lovecraft
1: yeah, I had a wee think about this because it always sounds very intellectual to r- rattle off no- um, writers' names and, <laughs> you know, I've read such and such. and um, So, yeah, th- really just like Edith Nesbitt for some reason was the name that mm. stood out. Um, aside for that, it's going to be your more trashy stuff, you know. I did, um, I'm guilty of... Uh, You know, my generation, it was like your point horrors and stuff like that, you know, looking back, not um, particularly great, I'd imagine, but just always immersed in horror, not maybe just with books, but, you know, cartoons of the time, films of the time, and just generally, I think, as a lot of wee boys are, Mm -hmm. just fascinated with monsters and death.
0: (laughs) Well, it, I mean, you mentioned Edith Nesbitt. I, she wrote um, "Man Size and Marble, didn't she?
1: That's right, yeah.
0: Yeah, she. that scared the shit out of me as a kid. That terrified me, that story.
1: Yeah, I've only just... I went back and got um, one of our short story collections on the Kindle, so I've been batting through that again. And, uh, yeah, I mean, fascinating with her because I don't know a, a whole lot about her, but obviously, like been a a female writer back then as well and uh, you know I believe that she she just called herself E. Nesbitt because Mm. basically couldn't you know, if she'd come out and, and folks saw it was a woman writing these things, she might not have got the, the the coverage that she maybe did or the success that she did, so, um and a lot of the, because she did that, you know, writing as the protagonist, like Lovecraft did as well, you know, the, these are my notes and I'm, I'm writing this down before the, whatever it is that's after me kicks the door <laughs> in, so, she, and she'd write her protagonists often as men, potentially all the time, actually. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. very interesting. I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to probably find out a bit more about her, you know her life and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I, it, I guess it's one thing that we tend to forget these days that, you know, I mean, obviously this all changed in the 20th century and maybe the late 19th, but it, it was really women writers who started horror off. I mean, you know, between Mary Shelley with Frankenstein and all the sort of great gothic and ghost story writers of the Victorian era, they were almost all women. And, you know, horror only became a men's genre, I think, like, you know, 100, 150 years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true enough. Yeah. I'm I'm woefully short on my history and stuff like that, my literary history, so can't claim I have much knowledge about it all. But yeah, no what you're saying as well, Mary Shelley certainly, yeah, that's a that's a name that, you know, goes way back, isn't it? So
0: as far as the other influences on the podcast go, I mean, obviously, you're coming at this from a comedic angle as well. I mean, was there any particular thing, or you know, any particular stuff that you drew upon there, or was this just sort of reflective of you know the the, the humor that you found you know in in daily life?
1: Yeah, I reckon, like first and foremost the humor. The humor is actually just my limitations because I'm incapable <laughs> of staying serious for any length of time. So, even if I wanted to try and do a serious horror, I think it would become puerile just again because that's that's me. <laughs> um so I, the humor maybe necessarily wasn't so deliberate in the, the early days, but in terms of other influences as well I I listened to an interview with um, a writer that I really like called Joe Abercrombie who a lot of folks will probably be familiar with he was asked his influences and he just talked about um, it's basically like you go through your life and literally everything you hear and see it all just goes into this one big like creative soup um but to to so I'm not caught out on this, like one of the one of the strongest influences you could maybe point to directly is like um and you're down in England I believe, so you'll know about this, but the Viz the Viz comic.
0: Oh god, yes, yeah.
1: So um yeah, I mean uh, Roger Melly, the character in there you could you could <laughs> kinda of see Lee's a bit of a rip off of him almost. So <laughs>
0: Okay, yeah, I hadn't quite pieced that together, but now you say it, I can really see
1: it. Yeah, aye, so, um, yeah, I think definitely, you know, The Viz Viz is a big strong influence there, yeah.
0: Oh. (laughs) So, when you set out to write an arc of uh, a Scottish podcast, I... Is Do you think of it primarily as a horror story and then sort of the humour evolves from that? Like you say, just because, you know, that's, that's what you do. Or are you looking at it as a, a sort of framework to hang jokes on?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one because, like, with season one, um, I hadn't planned that at all. I was just writing it. Um, it's to do with like the birth of the show. When I when I started the podcast, it wasn't really intended to go anywhere. I was just messing about. Um, so i didn't have a story arc i was i was making it up from you know episode <laughs> to episode and kind of working towards something oh, well. that i hadn't really figured out and, and season 1 went down really well very popular got a lot of good feedback season 2 i did plan and i wrote it all in advance and tried to have arcs and stuff and then and then a lot of folk got in touch and they were like i'm quite disappointed i thought that was shite <laughs> so <laughs> Um, so the <laughs> moral of the story oh, is no. probably just make it up as you go along rather than try and plan. Certainly for me, you know, I <laughs> half-decent writer might disagree with that, but, um, yeah, so I, I maybe just need to, you know, mess about with it and, and see what I could come up with on the fly rather than try and plan it all, so...
0: Huh. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I can sort of relate to that in some ways and that, I mean, obviously, you know, what, what I do is quite different, but... Certainly, I find that you know, humour and story and stuff like that. It, when I am doing sort of gaming podcasts, tends to be a very organic thing. That you know, it's stuff that just comes out of the moment, and that you know, plotting that stuff is a lot harder than it is just sort of being spontaneous.
1: Yeah, I I mean, storytelling's uh, it's a whole like it, again. I, I've not studied a lot of it. I've not um looked inside the baseball as as they say sometimes so um yeah I just I, I don't know I I feel almost like a fraud talking about it because I genuinely just um like I say make it up as I go along most of the time.
0: <laughs> I think that's probably pretty true of most writers. Yeah, I and I I don't know I think. Over over the years, the writers I've known, the ones who are insecure about their work tend to be the best ones. So, you know, the, the the ones who are absolutely sure that they know exactly what they're doing and you know the best thing ever tend to be shite.
1: <laughs> yeah, I the old um, what's it those who do teach or the, I've messed it up already, mm. but you you know what I'm getting at. Uh, those who yeah. can't do teaching, but uh, yeah, no, I, I suppose. Um, like anything else in life, if you just go on and do something uh, and put enough time into it, the chances are you might come away with something half-decent, um, especially if it's a, a creative thing. Maybe not uh, so much as you know, brain surgery or that. Right, you probably need some training in, a, in that avenue. But...
0: <laughs> I'd like to think so. <laughs> I mean, this is something that I think about an awful lot. How do you actually sort of see the relationship between comedy and horror, It's possibly not fair to kind of focus on this because it's maybe not something people analyse that much. But do do you find that sort of the processes for creating humour and creating horror are similar ones for you, or are they very different ones?
1: They're such a good combo. It's kind of like, you know, certain foodstuffs. um, You know, you have like a... A, a quite a savoury thing, and it, you complement it with quite a sweet thing. It's a really wanky metaphor, mm. and I can't even think of like a food example which would have been handy. But I I think like if you go if you go for a hundred percent complete horror, uh, you're probably just going to wear people down eventually. You know, some might disagree mm. with that, but and then if you just go pure humour, it probably just becomes a bit silly over time and a bit cliched. So, I think like the two balance each other quite well. Um, again, I talked about Joe Abercrombie, and I know he's not a horror writer, but when you when you go through his books, like it's, it's very grim, you know, lots of people just dying, cruel, needless deaths, a lot of violence, but then there's a lot of humour with the characters too, and it's just this nice balance where like you step back for a bit and there's just finding these wee laughs in all that darkness, so yeah, I, th- I think they just they, they balance each other quite well, yeah.
0: And also, do you think it's kind of, I guess, the same kind of skills to scare someone as to make them laugh? And it always strikes me that, yeah, you know, the two are, are yeah, you know, really sort of emotionally very similar in that you're, you're sort of building up a sense of uncertainty, you're building up tension, and then you're suddenly providing a release.
1: Yeah, it's true that, um, and, and there must be, you know, if neurologically there's probably a lot of connections because it's, you're you're kind of manipulating emotions. It sounds really bad. Sounds worse than it is. But yeah, you, you're looking for a certain reaction out the audience. You're probably putting some stuff in front of them that they relate to through situations in their own life. You know, if it's a ridiculous situation, we've all had those days where, like, everything just goes wrong and everyone you meet seems to be Mm. an incompetent idiot. And I think when you put (laughs) a character in that situation, the humour is just that we've all been there. It's obviously a lot more parodied, but, you know, there's that. And then we've all been scared as well. Um, And certainly audio is a good medium to scare people with or to create that sense of unease or fear, just again it goes back to that, the unseen um, you look mm-hmm. back at a lot of horror films where the minute the 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 baddie or the monster is revealed the whole thing just falls to bits because what might have been scary for the costume designer or the director isn't necessarily scary for for everyone else but if you're working in audio and you don't you don't describe too much you know what the body, what the monster looks like or what the presence looks like. People are naturally just going to lean in on their perception of what's scary. So I think that's mm. that's probably why um, audio drama makes such a good job at, at doing the whole horror thing and you know um, because it's not so in your face. it's more in your mind.
2: Now you said your uncle was coming over to visit you from America sometime soon, and he used to tell you a story about a haunted mansion in Scotland when you were wee. <laughs> well, a haunted mansion maybe wasn't my exact words, but yeah, my uncle Stu's in Edinburgh next week. I don't think I went into much detail, but he was a janitor in Miskatonic University in Massachusetts about twenty years ago. He always told uh, hang me on. about Miskatonic University. Yeah, you know H.P. Lovecraft. And all that. Oh, I've heard of the place, but it's fictional. You know, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that out in the West Coast, or over here in Europe. Miskatonic's a real college. Its very name conjures up all sorts of mystique. But it's as real a place as this coffee shop. Well, I won't argue with you, but I must say I'm surprised. That's understandable. (laughs) The place has tried to rebrand itself many, many times since the uh, Lovecraft era. As you can imagine, they've gotten a lot of unwanted attention since then. I'll bet they have. Why don't they just capitalize on it? That seems the American thing to do. And no offense, Link. None taken. (laughs) Though We're not all like that out in the States. But I totally agree. Why wouldn't they make the most of it, right? They don't actually do so well. The place is borderline derelict and I don't think they have many students. So the point is you think they're hiding something.
0: And when you're writing something like that that you know you're you're, say writing one of these scenes where let's take say the stuff that's happening under under edinburgh and you've got all this sort of creepy half-defined stuff that's going on that we're picking up primarily through sound effects and through little bits of character description and we're perhaps not entirely sure what's going on i do find that when you get sort of the build-up the payoff there that do you ever find yourself wondering, you know, is, is this going to be funny? Is this going to be scary? Or do, do you find that the, the demarcation is there in your own mind? The intention is there? Or is this just something you find it comes out of the reaction of the audience?
1: Yeah, it's interesting that because um, I, I reckon for most of the scenes when I'm writing it, I'm, I'm probably not trying to overthink it. Um, I think mm. that's maybe where I'd get stuck if I if I started to think, okay, what you know, what 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 do I want the audience to do here? So I think maybe the reason I've managed to make so many of these episodes is just because I'm not overthinking it too much. But th- there have there have been like notably like the the sort of climactic part of the horror arc in season two when we mm. dove into like the the sort of reveal there. Um, I specifically left the humour out of that, and um, whether or not that was the right thing to do or not will depend on the the individual listener, I suppose, but, you know, I felt with those two episodes that it took, I was just writing straight up horror, and then of course on the the final episode we got back to the the ridiculous as well, so uh, that's maybe Mm -hmm. the only time I've deliberately went out my way to separate the two.
0: Personally, I think that worked really well. I found those episodes really quite creepy. Obviously, personally, I think you you made exactly the right choice in in not trying to be funny in those parts. But I mean, do you find though that um, it's something I see a lot in you know particularly really schlocky horror films that sometimes. Yeah, if you really push the horror to extremes um you know particularly when it comes to things like gore and shocks and so on that you can't help it being funny at the same time just because it is so inherently ridiculous
1: yeah i guess so yeah um again you know it ties into a lot of films that are just people watch them for a laugh and that's probably not what they Mm. were intended to do and again that's like not just lovecraft himself but people who've been inspired by lovecraft that's probably why that genre of horror is is so popular you know and is taken very seriously it can be played around with in a humorous way i would think but um it's all about the unseen it's all about leaning into the the individual reader or listener's own fears and um yeah, I think that's why it's a lot. Like, there's a potential for a lot more fear than if you're just, you know, here's somebody running through the woods. Somebody's chasing them with a chainsaw, and they're going to like cut them up, and there's going to be loads of blood. And at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't know many folk that would, you know, be be scared to watch that. Maybe scared mm-hmm. if it's you that's running away for the chainsaw maniac. <laughs> but um, that's a very different uh-huh. story. But yeah, a question whether or not you know that's actually a scary film or scary fiction.
0: Well, and also, I guess, uh, a lot of people, probably when they're laughing at films like that, the, the laughter is a defence mechanism. It's a way of stopping themselves being scared.
1: Yeah, potentially, yeah. Um, I like the... Was it the Saw films back in the day? I remember them. It was mm. all about, you know, some did get, like, they'd wake up in my room and it was just, it was just a gore fest, wasn't it? But, yeah, you're mm. wincing at times watching it, so I... But um, yeah, I, do, I, I don't. To be honest, I don't um, don't watch a lot of films or that. I don't watch that much TV. Um, Sounds really boring now. But I, just, uh, <laughs> I do. I do read a lot still. Do read a lot. That's probably where I get the most of the, the fiction that I consume these days.
0: Have you got any recommendations to make?
1: Well, like I say, I was battering through all the Abercrombie stuff, and I've just started mm. a new. Just Started a new one recently and it's a, a Scottish set in Scotland. Um, I want to say the name is The Pines Pines at Francie. Oh, yeah, yes, doing? yeah. Uh, sort of Waterston's window and went home and bought on Amazon as you do, you know. Um, try and kill all the shops, <laughs> but uh, we've all done it. <laughs> But um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh So I've just started that. It was really good. What, what else was I reading recently? Um, I've got one on the go. I've got an Audible account as well, so I'm going through one at the moment called Ash by James Herbert. Apparently, it's quite a famous oh, book. Yeah. Um, and that is the, That's all the sort of occult stuff. You know, I love all that. I love this um, idea of conspiracy and these groups. You know that that maybe uh, can be seen in certain areas of society, but you know they've got these deep-seated roots and like it ties into the occult and all that. I just I love stuff like that. You know somebody stumbles Mm. across a conspiracy and it gets very dangerous. Uh, um, Yeah, very appealing that sort of fiction. Oh,
0: nice. The pines, or is it the pines or pines? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, that's been on my list for a while. I've, I've read some reviews of it a while back and it sounds like exactly my kind of thing. I must mm-hmm. get round to that one.
1: Yeah, I've just... I've uh, got on the Kindle, so 20, 20 or 30% through and it's, it's been really good. Yeah, a, a good old page-turner.
0: We, we've talked a little bit, obviously, about how you've brought Lovecraft into all the comedy here. Do you think, though, that in any ways... Lovecraft and his work well his work primarily is funny in itself
1: maybe not um, directly but you know knowing what we know now and I just mean like a lot of time has passed uh, writing's changed fiction's changed I think if Lovecraft obviously if he came out the gate these days he wouldn't really get a look in um, just because I I don't know that that style would work anymore you know the Mm. the protagonist uh just doing these lengthy monologues and, you know, um very wordy and stuff like that. So I, I think, like, looking back, there's... It does make me laugh a wee bit, but only because of how much things have changed. And, uh, mm. like I say, I'm no expert when it comes to, to writing prose or books or, or writing at all. But, yeah, the, the, there's humour to be drawn from it. Just this, like... You know, like I say, it's always somebody saying, let me tell you about this terrible thing that happened. And, and it usually com- culminates with, and they're at the door right now. Uh, <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, very wordy and, you know, yeah. um, very little dialogue as well. I think that might have been yeah. to do with, he was a bit of a loner. Um, so yeah, it's it's very interesting how it's changed. And um, you can obviously, like I say, you can see the influences and everything. That I, I, think, I think there are a... Probably a lot of other comedies that have been created about it. I imagine there a lot of people have parodied it as well. I imagine it would be very, oh God, very yeah. easy to parody. But, um, yeah, I, I, do, I don't think he was trying to be funny. I don't know if he had a humorous bone in his body, to be honest. He did not
0: He did make a couple of attempts at being funny. Really? And he, wrote a, he wrote a satirical story. I don't know if you've ever encountered it, called Sweet Ermengarde. Right. Which was, yeah, this short story that he wrote sort of parodying uh, romance fiction. Right. And... Yeah, I mean, let's say there's a reason we don't remember him as a comedy writer. <laughs> uh, and and he also wrote this bizarre essay, which I think he meant as a speech, called Cats and Dogs, which was a, a sort of a debate. Uh, yeah, That's right, it was his entry in a debate uh, about which was a better pet, cats or dogs. And so he wrote this really spirited defense of cats that somehow, because it's Lovecraft, ends up being a defense of fascism.
1: Yeah. First up there, like, really, really pointless debate. What's better, cats or dogs? <laughs> I wish I wish we had those problems uh, today. But, <laughs> I so, and he got a bit of a David Icke style um, accusation, I suppose. Was, was it David Icke? And they said, like, when you're saying lizards, are you, I can't remember what they were yeah. saying, what they were claiming. But uh, anyway, I so Lovecraft, yeah. it was cats, um, fascism, yeah, so.
0: No, cats with the master race, or
1: something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was an odd, odd man.
1: <laughs> yeah, very strange fellow. Um, again, I don't, I don't, I haven't dived into a lot about like his own life or that. Um, I, I went through all the sort of books, like all the collected works, and um, yeah, I mean, very prolific. But he probably, probably wasn't doing a lot else, was he?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, most of the time he was writing letters to people. I mean, he he wasn't, you know, a complete shut-in. He did travel around and visit people. But mostly he just, I, you know, as much fiction and, and um, essays and so on, poetry as he wrote in his lifetime, he mainly wrote letters. He wrote something like 100,000 letters during his lifetime. <laughs>
1: yeah i i think um was it Stephen King talked about like if he was around these days he'd just he'd spend a lot of time on the internet basically he'd be oh yeah, he'd be the twitter guy wouldn't he the um <laughs> or the, the old <laughs> forum guy
0: yeah hanging around in alt right forums, i imagine <laughs> <laughs> on a happier note uh let's um what what does the future hold then for a Scottish podcast? You've just put out a, a special episode, your first episode in a while, um, Fish Supper over Innsmouth, which I adored. Are you working on anything new or is it on hiatus for the time being?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, tentatively writing the next uh, the next episode. And I've, I've kind of, the audio drama's got this thing where everyone just, um, and because we've done like season one, season two, and obviously you get people asking you about season three, and I'm just thinking about going against the grain with the whole season, and just like putting out, putting out an episode uh, that furthers the main story again, uh, mm-hmm. and you know whether people want to call that the start of season three or not. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be releasing new episodes every other month or whatever. I might just start releasing episodes as and when I can, and you know that will be. Ostensibly season three, because it will be back to the main the main story and, and what happens next sort of thing. I mean, you're a podcaster yourself, like it's it's very time consuming, and when you dive into oh God, yeah. full cast audio drama and sound effects and the music and you know it, it, it takes so much time to put together, and I, I don't like hmm. to I don't like to spend a lot of my leisure time in front of a computer. I like to do other things. I like to you know myself, and my wife, we like to to get out walking, just be outside as much as we can. Uh, and, you know, if I'm in the house, I maybe like to do a wee bit of painting or stuff like that. So it's, um it's difficult for me to, to basically sit down in front of the computer for, you know, my leisure time. Um, so <laughs> yeah. that, I guess that's why it takes a wee while to do it. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, I'm, I'm putting them out there. I'm not asking anyone for money or anything like that. And if, if folk are happy to follow along, that's fine. But, it's not like I'm obliged to to do it. So hmm. podcast listeners are a funny breed sometimes. A lot of them can get very, um, you know, entitled. Like, where's... I, I'm hmm. not talking about a Scottish podcast. I don't know that anyone gives a shit. But, it, you know, if you look at bigger, <laughs> bigger fiction podcast uh, series, uh, shows like the Black Tapes and things like that, and hmm. the hard time that they get if they don't put out a, a new episode in a certain time or that, so... Um I podcast listeners could be very demanding, can't they?
0: I suppose I should say that we have the loveliest listeners in the world and I couldn't think of a single fault about any of them. Oh, come on, yeah, you've
1: yeah. got to slag off your listeners in front of them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I do it with love. I do it with
1: love. <laughs> <laughs> For folks that um are wanting to Tell stories. I think audio drama. I've just moaned about it, like how hard it is and how long it takes. But I think it's a good <laughs> medium to to dive into. You know, if you're a if you're a fiction writer, because it's um it's obviously quite hard to get an audience if you're writing books and stuff like that. But hmm. I think if you do yeah. fiction podcasts, it's potentially. I know it's getting more crowded, but if you if you do something that's decent and consistent and and sounds okay. You could pick up an audience around that, and if that's if that's something ultimately that you want to do um, at a good level, then it's a good training ground to sort of build that audience and test ideas and just get used to putting the work in.
0: Would you have any specific advice for anyone who wanted to try to go down that route of doing a, a dramatic podcast?
1: Yeah, I would say um, keep it keep it small. So keep your cast small. You don't want to yeah. confuse the listener with too too throwing too many voices at them in those early days. So if you go back to like your first few episodes, it was just me and and Lee or uh, Robert as he's known in real life. Uh, <laughs> so you know you're not asking too much of the listener's brain because they're only hearing two voices. You could drip feed new characters in, but I think you want to keep you want to keep your cast small. You want to keep your episodes small, and you want to rely on dialogue as much as possible rather than um, trying to describe things to people you know mm-hmm. um walking into a room and and talking the listener through th- what the room looks like and what the other character looks like I think you again you want to sort of drip feed that through the dialogue and just let the listener build their own image of the scene and the characters as well it makes it a lot more intimate.
0: But obviously you've relied quite a lot on audio production and sound effects and so on as well to build that atmosphere and to create a sense of place. <laughs> At the risk of getting in too much into detail here, I mean, how, do you use stock sound effects for that? Do you create your own? Do you work with an audio designer?
1: Yeah, so I, I produce the thing all on my own as well. So again, it's just something I've learned over the years. Uh, one of the things that I, I guess if you put enough time into and mess about enough with stuff, you could eventually put something together that sounds remotely competent. <laughs> so I reckon that's what's happened there. <laughs> um, but yeah, that I've found over the years a lot of good resources for, you know, the music and the sound effects and things like that. Unfortunately, I think it was going back... Um, 6 or 7 years ago now myself and Robert we've we've like worked together on this sort of stuff since we met at, at the college um about 10 years ago and what we did we we got a credit card and bought like a 5 grand uh hard drive full of like you know 100,000 sound effects and we oh just wow. paid that off so we had access to everything we needed but you know, these days you wouldn't you wouldn't even have to consider that because there's a lot of really good subscription sites out there these days for getting mm-hmm. sound effects. So you know, a five or a month and you get unlimited access. So we'd never have dreamed of doing that um, if these platforms were around back then. But we just figured that would be the best way to to save time. Uh, you could record sound effects and stuff yourself too, but th- that obviously adds onto your workflow. So.
0: Yeah, the end result is absolutely fantastic. Uh, the uh, the audio design, the you
1: know,
0: the way you build atmosphere in the podcast is is really creepy at times.
1: Yeah, it's uh, they they could be like the the hard part of producing the thing is the dialogue. So you know, we never record together. But we know, hmm. we know how each other sounds so it's, it's quite easy to record the lines but then every single line of dialogue I need to chop that up individually I need to place it, what I feel is perfectly in the tone of the conversation So that's a real hmm. slog doing that um, The fun part is when you begin to layer in the music, sound effects ambience and stuff like that and then it, 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 you sort of get this get this period in the middle where it's good fun and then when it comes to, right, we need to get this thing finished up so you think it's perfect but then what you do is you mix it down, you put it on your phone and maybe go for a walk and listen to it through your earbuds Mm. as your listener's going to be listening to it and then you notice maybe the positioning of a piece of dialogue's not quite right or there's a little glitch in the audio or, you know, there's a footstep that's quite jarring um, and then you have to go back and sort of jig about with it and try it again so um, yeah two, two massive like frustrating periods sandwich in this like little rewarding period in the middle where you get to kind of chuck sound effects in and see how they sound <laughs> and put a bit of music in and that yeah so it's it's not, not, not huge fun but uh, there are little moments in there where you get the old uh, flow state I would guess
0: Going back to something you said a couple of moments ago, uh, yeah, I'd never really sort of tried to picture how this was recorded, but the cast has grown obviously a bit over time. You've got a reasonably sized cast now, so you're saying basically everyone records their bits in isolation and um, so there's no interaction between the actors at all when they're doing this? You just chop it all together after the event?
1: Yeah, that's right. Literally every single piece of dialogue is recorded independently and cut up by me. Um, A few exceptions were like the early... Early season one episodes, um, myself and Robert did get together to record those. But I am such a shite voice actor. I need so many takes at a line <laughs> that recording with somebody. I'm just holding them up, and uh, I get to the point where I'm like, "Look, we'll just do your lines. I'll go away and do mine, and I won't keep you any longer." So, um, okay. so that's that's how it kind of works better. I, yeah, I've I, the chance of me getting a line right on the first take is uh, is nil basically. So.
0: Oh god, no, no, I feel your pain there.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, I I'm I'm really surprised to hear that because the end result is I mean obviously it's not naturalistic because it's drama, but at the same time there isn't the kind of stilted quality I'd expect from everyone doing this stuff in isolation. It feels like they're all together. So yeah, I mean that really works. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a very very talented cast. Um, I take myself out of that, but you know, I only I only work with people in this that and and it's folk that we've we've worked with for a long time. You know, I know that they're mm-hmm. they're they're very very good at what they do. Um a lot of them are trained actors, um, whereas some of them are, you know, amateurs but very very experienced and and they know it inside out. So I think that's it. that's comes back to some of the advice for folks that want to do this. You want a small group of people who you can rely on and are good at what they do and that's not just as easy to, to get that group of folk but you know you you find a few good people and you just stick with them because you know you're going to get uh, great quality from them um, you know, you're not you're not trying to go out there and find new voices every other week because you know that this core of people, especially if you get a few people who could do multiple voices, so you know mm. we'll have characters now and then that you know they'll voice two or three people, and that can work. I certainly, I I couldn't hope to disguise my own dulcet tones, but um, <laughs> other folk, again, trained actors, they could kind of do that as well. So it gives you a lot of freedom.
0: Like I say, I mean the the yeah, the end result is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're
1: listening to the Good
0: Friends of Jackson Elias. You can find show notes for this episode at com, where you'll also find all our social media presences. We have t shirts and other merchandising available at our Redbubble store. If you're enjoying this show, please consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash Good Friends of Jackson Elias. Thank you for listening. Okay, well, thank you very much again, Matthew, for you know, for the interview and that um, unexpected little uh, tutorial in how to create audio drama. That was, yeah, that was fascinating. It's something I've I've wanted about myself for some time, and it's really interesting to hear how it's all made.
1: Yeah, and uh, there are obviously um, a lot of decent resources out there these days as well like out there for for folks you know it's it's like anything else you know it's it's easier to learn stuff these days because there's a lot of folk out there that are not only doing it but creating content about doing it as well so
0: thank you very much and well I'll put a link in the show notes to a Scottish podcast if our listeners haven't already heard it do please go off and do so I think well I think if you like Lovecraft and you like having a laugh you'll enjoy it
1: Thank you very much, Scott. I've enjoyed the conversation. Like I say, I don't don't do many interviews because nobody ever asks. So it's <laughs> <laughs> it's it's cool just to um yeah it made me made me think about a few things that I haven't necessarily thought about before in relation to the show. So it's been it's been very enjoyable, and I've I've been enjoying uh, listening to your episodes as well. So um yeah, fair play to you for for putting the show together.
0: Oh, brilliant! Well, thank you very
1: much. <laughs> You're welcome.
2: Hello.
0: Blasphemous